This is the Responsible Sports Podcast, presented by Liberty Mutual. Episode number 50, Tumua Anai. Responsible Sports is a program dedicated to supporting coaches and parents who help our children succeed on and off the field. Each episode, our host, Jim Thompson, Executive Director of Positive Coaching Alliance, will be joined by some of the most influential players and coaches to share their thoughts and experiences with responsible coaching and responsible sports parenting. In this episode, Tina Sire, Chief Impact Officer of Positive Coaching Alliance, steps in for Jim and talks with 2012 Olympic water polo gold medalist Tamua Anai. I think from age group swimming, from a very young age, I learned how to set goals. Um, from kind of trying to make junior Olympic cuts to junior national team cuts to um, setting goals to drop time or get stronger or improve my stroke technique. I think that I learned from Ryan how to set goals and how to kind of do the little goals underneath that big goal in order Mm -hmm. to attain kind of the end result. Tamua shares her Olympic experiences and discusses the role that team building exercises play in a team's success. She also provides advice to youth athletes who are dealing with a lack of playing time in their sport. Tamua, I want to start off by introducing you to our responsible sports audience. Tamua Anai is an Olympic gold medalist in water polo, a goalkeeper for the USA team that won the 2012 Summer Games in London. She joined the team in 2010 after a standout career at USC. At USC, she helped the Trojans to the 2010 NCAA Championship was a three-time first-team All-American and a finalist for the Peter J. Coutinho Award, presented annually to the outstanding collegiate male and female water polo players. Before that, she helped her Corona Del Mar high school team to the 2005 and 2006 California Interscholastic Federation titles. Tamua also supports the fight against ALD, a genetic metabolic disease that took the life of a preteen water polo player named Evan Cousineau, in 2007. Tamua, thanks for joining the Responsible Sports audience and me today. Oh, thank you for having me. It's um, always great to talk about sports and all the wonderful experiences that I've had because of it. Thank you. So when I was uh, preparing for the interview, I saw that in your USA water polo bio, uh, you stated that your favorite thing about water polo is being part of a team that's striving to achieve something much bigger than any one individual. And I'm hoping you can kick us off just by talking a little bit about um, why that's so important to you. I mean, well, there's so many different aspects of water polo and of kind of the tactical game or the psychological game. But I think Definitely my favorite part of um, being a water polo player and an athlete in general is definitely my teammates and the camaraderie and friendships and love that is kind of shared within your team. And I think that's what makes it fun to get up for practice every morning or um, when practices are hard and you guys are all tired, it's kind of the glue that sticks a team together and that helps bond everybody. And I think that's my, definitely my favorite part of water polo and um it's kind of the most fun is getting to hang out with your teammates. That's great. Um, I want to build on that a little bit for our responsible sports listeners and, and have you give us a window into the culture of the USA national team. And um, in particular, you know, you're just back from the Olympics. Um, we'd love to sort of hear about some of the core values um, that you feel like you and your teammates on the national team share. Um, I think that 
when you get a group of 13 girls together um, striving for one common goal, I think that the different personalities and the different um, values that are important to each of us definitely create um, an environment and a culture within our team. And I think first and foremost, I mean, it was a, the hardest group, hardworking group of girls that I've ever been privileged to play with. I don't think there's a day that really anyone complained or, um, you know, wasn't willing to do the extra five minutes or to do that extra leg set. I think that um, just kind of the hard work and the work ethic that all of us shared um, was something that we grew to respect within each other and something that we took a lot of pride in as a team. And um, I think that outside of the water, outside of all of the work that we physically do, I think that the thing that made us, um, made this team special was the, yeah, the bonds that we created outside of the water. We did a lot of um, team building exercises as well as, you know, even just kind of making it a point to spend an hour together every week outside of the water, whether it was... Um, going to see a movie or having dinner with one another to be able to kind of laugh and be in a more relaxed environment together definitely helps with our team chemistry. That's great. That's great. Um, when you think about your team, um, how do you guys deal with challenge? You know, whether it's like a momentary mistake, either in a practice or a game, or even maybe a deeper challenge that you feel like the team is trying to overcome? I think that, I mean, we had a lot of challenges coming off of, I mean, one of our worst um, performances at World Championships in 2011. I think the main thing that helped us kind of come from maybe a low point as a team was honesty. Mm. And I think being able to be honest with one another about not only what we would like to see in each other, kind of some qualities that we want to push each other with to challenge each other, but being honest with ourselves personally mm-hmm. and kind of being responsible for ourselves is within our preparation or within our, our mental game or even in the water, you know, being able to trust one another to give, you know, to set her up for that extra pass or, um, so I think definitely what helped our team is being honest with one another and being honest with ourselves when, you know, whether it's a great tournament that we had or maybe one of our worst performances, it's just being able to be honest about what we needed to work on. Mm-hmm. That's, um, I think that's really insightful. I'm curious, um, is that something that you guys were able to work on, you know, just with your coaching staff or did you bring in, um, you know, sports psychologists to help you through that or how did you guys approach those discussions? I think that um, there's kind of a lot of dynamics to discussions within a team, whether it's just you and your teammate discussing things that maybe are more of a personal level or, um, but definitely as a group, we have a team psychologist um, through the USOC and he was amazing. Has to be a real um, culture of trust, I think, to have those kinds of honest discussions. Sometimes we, we, we talk about Jim Collins' work, um, the author who wrote Good to Great, and he talks about turning over the rocks and looking at the creepy crawly things and being willing to talk about the things that need to improve. And it sounds like you guys did a great job with that. Um, so I guess just a little bit more about the 2012 London Olympics. Um, you know, it's not every day that we get to hear from a gold medal winner, and I'm hoping you could tell our responsible sports audience a little bit about that experience in London. Gosh, um, I think that I it was just so emotional. I think even when I think about it now, there's just so many emotions that you have at the Olympic Games. 
from the kind of anticipation that you have going into it. I was a first-time Olympian, and we had girls on our team who are four-time Olympians. I just, you know, you don't really know what to expect, but you expect this, you know, this grand event, and you're on the sport's largest stage. And um, I think it definitely superseded those expectations that I had. And um, not only with water polo, but opening ceremonies and walking Mm. into opening ceremonies was definitely one of my favorite parts. You know, it's just kind of one of those goosebump moments walking into the stadium and Mm. hearing USA chants and... Um, you know, it's just something that I had watched on TV forever, and then to be able to be a part of it was amazing. And um, to stay in the village and get to meet these athletes, you know, that I look up to, that I see on TV, from the basketball team to maybe Venus and Serena Williams. And mm. so to be able to kind of, I guess, be on the same team as these great athletes for a couple weeks and to almost kind of be their peer was an experience in and of itself. And then, of course, Winning a gold medal is, I mean, that's what we came to do and to accomplish um, a goal of the team, but also kind of a lifelong goal I know of all of the girls on the team was, um, it's amazing. It really is. It's something sensational. So I wanted to follow up on um, something you said there about how you were a first-time Olympian and some of the women on your team were actually four-time Olympians. Um, Was there anything that they did for you guys to sort of let you know what to expect and and try to give you some tips going in? And I guess sort of I'm looking for some answers that might help um, like high school athletes where if they're a senior on the team, the way they could help welcome younger players onto the team and let them know what to expect throughout a season. Yeah, definitely, because, you know, there's so many maybe even distractions that we weren't even aware of that they warned us about from just kind of uh, familiarizing us with the process, whether it's going through filling out paperwork or, you know, getting all your cool gear or kind of being able to know, like, what to expect a little bit more kind of helped ease us into the process so we didn't feel overwhelmed, because I think that, you know, some of the things that they had told us that, you know, their first time going around, they didn't know what to expect. So when they got there, it was all kind of like, almost like a shock. So to be able to hear their previous experiences and um, to know um, a little bit more about what to expect definitely helped with us being able to focus on water polo and to be able to kind of ground us when, you know, the outside factors were a little bit overwhelming. Yep, yep. So when we're talking to responsible sports coaches, um, we talk about them having two goals, like they're always striving to win. And at the same time, they're trying to teach life lessons to their athletes that'll stick with their athletes, you know, into adulthood. So long after they've stopped playing water polo, you know, they'll still carry away lessons about how to persevere through adversity or goal setting. And I'm curious if you can talk about some of the coaches that you've had, you know, at any level, you know, youth through the Olympics that you feel like have influenced you the most and and what it was that they did um, that made them so unique. Well, I'd have to, I guess I'll start from when I first started. Um, I mean, I started club swimming when I was younger Mm -hmm. and I had a coach who was the former coach at UC Irvine, this one coach, Brian Pyre. Mm-hmm. And I think from age group swimming, from a very young age, I learned how to set goals um, from kind of trying to make junior Olympic cuts to junior national team cuts to um, setting goals to drop time or get stronger or improve my stroke technique. I think that I learned from Brian how to set goals and how to 
kind of do the little goals underneath that big goal in order mm-hmm. to attain kind of the end result. And then um, in high school, I had a I had a great high school coach. I've always been lucky to have such good coaches, but in high school, I had Aaron Cheney as my water polo coach, and I think I learned a lot about um, kind of the psychological aspect of the game mm-hmm. and um, preparing myself not only physically but mentally. Um, whether the game's going really well for me to be able to settle myself down or maybe a few early goals had gone in and I wasn't doing a very good job to be able to reset kind of my mindset to clear out what just happened and to be able to focus on the present, um, I think is what I really learned from my coach in high school. And then going into college, um, I think I learned about a lot about responsibility about and preparation to, you know, know the plays, know the defenses just as well as my coach did so that I could help the freshmen who were coming in or I could help discuss um, with someone who has was having a problem understanding things, kind of that responsibility that I have as a player to mm-hmm. my team. And then preparation. I mean, Jovan, who coaches at USC, is huge on preparation, whether it's video or meditation or um, you know, weekly goals, daily goals that we write in our notebooks. I think that um, I just, you know, you think you're working hard, but there's always something that extra that can be done so that you're more than prepared for your game that weekend. So I really, I've learned so many things through sports and through the amazing coaches that I've had growing up, all of them different, but um, all of them very important. I wish everyone was as lucky as you have been. Um, it sounds like you've had some tremendous coaches um, I, I want to follow up on what you said about um, when sort of the mental aspect of the game and as a goalkeeper, you know, every once in a while, um, in your case, you're going to get scored on. And this idea of sort of focusing forward, or I think you said resetting, um, I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about that specifically, like how to bounce back from a mistake and um, as a goalkeeper, like what special techniques you have for, for focusing forward after a goal. I actually... Um in college, I don't know why this stands out to me, but in college, um, our assistant coach, Pinta, had given me this article about a basketball player who was having a hard time transitioning from offense into defense, mm-hmm. and she would, she kind of imagined crumpling up a piece of paper and throwing it kind of behind her to let it go, and so um, she said that when she, whenever she'd get to the half-court line, she'd kind of pretend like she was crumpling up a piece of paper and throw it back. Um, just kind of that physical association with the mental aspect that she had. And so I kind of had made a habit in college of um, kind of between every quarter trying to be able to reset my mind. So every time that we went to half or we went to in between the breaks of the quarters that when while I was drinking my water, I would just pretend that to help wash away the last quarter and to mm-hmm. get on with the next quarter. And I think that it's important, whether it's good or bad, to just kind of let it go mm-hmm. um, to, and to focus on the new quarter. I don't really – I think that it helps to have kind of an association with that letting go, whether it's drinking water or crumpling up a piece of paper and throwing it behind you, to mm-hmm. kind of um, acknowledge it um, not only in your mind, but have kind of like a little tendency or a little tick to be able to let it go. Yeah, that's that's a really great tool. Um, 
So I was thinking a little bit about um, wanting to hear about your parents and sort of the role they played in your development as an athlete. And, you know, I know you and your sister Jordan both ended up playing water polo at USC, so it seems like they must have done a lot right. Um, And I'm just curious if you can talk a little bit about them and the role they played. Well, I think, I mean, if I think of any role model that I look up to, it's my parents. And um, not only from sacrificing waking up at 4.30 in the morning to take us to practice before we could drive or taking us to our, you know, our sports events on the weekends, whether it was from our soccer game to our swim meet and just kind of going here, there, and everywhere. I think that um, my parents have sacrificed a lot of things for us be able to do those things or take us to those places, but also um, within their own professional lives, kind of striving. My parents, my my mother is an audiologist and um, my father is a, a surgeon, so kind of within their own professional lives, kind of achieving these great things that my sister and I, I now have always looked up to. And so we kind of try and mimic it in our own way, whether it's in sports or school or in our personal lives, kind of a betterment and a sacrifice in order to um, kind of better what it is that you're doing. Fantastic. Um, So you had a ton of success in high school with back-to-back state championships and then, um, you know, three-time All-American and then, um, you know, becoming an Olympic gold medalist. And I'm curious, how do you display that kind of consistency and, you know, sort of guard against like letdowns over time when you've had just so much success? How do you keep that drive? Um, I mean, within those successes, there's definitely failures. And I think that whether it's in practice or it's in smaller tournaments outside of the Olympic Games or it's in, um, you know, conference tournaments in college or maybe just bad games in college, there's there's always something in sports, you know, it's not, you'd love it to be kind of a high plateau where it's all straight line, but um, I think in taking kind of your training as seriously as you take a game, um, in taking your what your reps in the weight room just as seriously as you take, you know, your reps in the water, um, kind of putting a presence in everything that you do helps to ground you mm-hmm. and to help you build kind of that platform in order to, to have those big moments at the Olympic Games or in college or at NC2As, um, kind of being able to take all of those things seriously helps mm-hmm. you to definitely ground you because you're not going to have the perfect day at practice every day. Or you're not going to have the best day in the weight room every day. So I think those little those little hardships, whether it's not at a huge tournament or not, it looks like there's a lot of success, but there's definitely a lot of the ups and downs that help ground you. Mm-hmm. I feel like a few times I've heard you say um, building a platform. Is that is that something you think about or language that you've sort of acquired over your years of training? Yeah, definitely. I think that even when we talk about our training regimen or um, talking about setting goals, I think that those are all, you know, there's a goal, but then there's so much that needs to be built underneath it in order to achieve that. But yeah, I guess when I look at things that I want to achieve, um, that's kind of at the top of the platform, but in order to get up there, it's kind of a building process. So it's a good kind of way to mentally look at it for myself. Great. Great. Um, so, so I believe it was your 2009 college season, um, when you had an injury, um, fairly early in your season. And I'm curious if you could tell our responsible sports listeners a little bit about how you were able to 
actually come back from that injury and have great success that season. I think you were still named a first team All-American, um, but just a, a lot of athletes have to go through injuries. And how did you approach that and how did you come back from that? Um, I think so much about being injured is um, it's hard because you're away from your team, not in the aspect that you're not at practice, but you don't really get to participate in maybe all of the drills that you're doing at practice. So, so much of it for me was mental to be able to, um, I guess, to feel like I was part, um, to continue to motivate myself when I wasn't able to physically participate. And so I think that because maybe my physical limitations, my mind kind of had to do um, the extra work in Hmm. maybe whether it was watching video or it was kind of playing it over in my mind when my body couldn't do it or... Um, even kind of reading inspirational quotes for the day or (laughs) kind of helping to motivate yourself um, when maybe, you know, your body's not doing what you want it to do or it's not able to do what you want it to do and you're kind of feeling maybe a little bit removed from your team. I think that it's your mind that needs most of the work, whether it's inspiring yourself with quotes or watching video or kind of uh, reminding your mind of what it needs to do so that when you get back in the water that, your body just needs to get used to what your mind has already done. That's great. That's great. Are there specific um, tips that you would give athletes that maybe for whatever reason they're not getting that much playing time where they can still be a really active contributor from the bench? Um, what would you say to those athletes? Absolutely. I mean, I was um, – I didn't play – I mean, I was the backup goalie at the Olympic Games and for – you know, I was behind Betsy Armstrong, who's an awesome goalie. So a lot of – time I definitely spent on the bench but I don't think that it takes away at all from your experience with your team and I think that you have an important responsibility to your team to be positive and to be energetic and um, to not let maybe your personal struggles with playing time or whatever I think when it comes to games you want to compete throughout the week but when it comes to game time um, you have put in a lot of work and your teammates have put in a lot of work and um, it's a collective effort, and you need to be part of that collective. And if anything, you need to be using that energy that you might not be using in the game to pump up your teammates and to give them insight on maybe what you see that they might not see while they're out there and um, being just kind of having that extra spark to help your team. Great. Um So I once had the chance to present at the USA Water Polo Convention, and as I was talking, um, I was talking about the importance of coaches teaching their athletes to honor the game, and, you know, it's sort of like a spin on sportsmanship, and part of what I was talking about was honoring the rules of the game, and I had a coach who was working with, like, seven- and eight-year-olds raise her hand and say that she had been um, teaching kids how to effectively hold underwater in water polo and, like, get out of a hold underwater, and that one of her athletes said to her, isn't that against the rules? And that she had this moment where she thought, gosh, I've always been coached this way. I'm just coaching what I've coached. And I'm sort of curious, um, you know, what your spin is on that, you know, having having played the sport for a long time, um, you know, that aspect of sort of honoring the rules within water polo. I think definitely it comes with respecting the game and re- maybe even more importantly, respecting your opponent. Mm-hmm. And I think that maybe it's not initiated, but water polo is definitely a physical sport. And so there's going to be a lot of grabbing. There's going to be a lot of aggression because everyone's competitive and they want to win. But um, 
you know, water polo is a game that's to be played hard and aggressively, but it doesn't need to be dirty. Mm-hmm. And I think that's with a lot of sports. So, um, yeah, you you don't want to hurt your opponent. You don't want to, you know, you don't want to make it an ugly, gross game because no one, you know, no one really gets anything out of that. So, um, just I guess you don't want to be the one to initiate it. If it turns if it turns bad, you know, you might want to say something like, "Hey, don't do that again." Like. I'm not, I don't want to play like that. Um, it's going to get aggressive, and I think that's with any sport. It's going to get physical. But, um, you know, you've been you've been taught by your coach how to play and how to respect the game and how to respect your importance, your opponent. And so you just kind of play accordingly. And just, you know, kind of a presence of mind, not to get caught up in the, the battle, but to have a presence of mind to take yourself out of it if you need to. Um and to play play hard, but not not to play dirty. Do you have any tools for athletes um, where they may feel themselves starting to get angry or upset in that sort of situation? Sort of like a, a calm a routine to help them calm themselves and keep their head in the water. Oh, I think first you need to rely on your teammates. I think sometimes your teammates can see you getting all riled up because they know you so well. Mm-hmm. So. Um, always having your teammate there to help settle you down, whether it's a look or something verbal or something to calm you down always helps. But I think it goes along with kind of resetting your mind, whether it was um, kind of a little tick that you have to remind yourself or something that you say to yourself to calm yourself down. It's always good to have something um, prepared for situations like that, um, where maybe it's a word that you say to yourself or it's, I don't know, something goofy that you in order to remind yourself to take yourself out of that um, that battle that you're having with that one person and to help bring you back to the larger scale of the game and what needs to be done for your team. Because I think when you get in those little battles, it gets kind of selfish almost, and you're taking yourself out of the game and you're taking yourself away from your teammates. So to bring it back to the game. Great, great. I just have one more question for you, uh, sort of away from the pool. Um, I was hoping you could talk with us a little bit about your involvement with a fight against ALD and um, what that has meant to you. Well, I mean, the Kusno family has been a very special family to my family. Um, Mary, uh, Evan's older sister, was my sister's roommate in college, freshman year. And um, I mean, I've it was inspired through Evan. So I didn't know much about it um, previous to Evan's experience. And through his passing, it's made um, kind of the water pool community become involved with ALD and the fight for ALD, whether it's um, swabbing your cheek. Um, they do a lot of different things throughout the country. I know the Cousineau family does, especially their mom. And um, it's just great to, um, great to have someone to... Um, to help you to get involved mm-hmm. and to have a special connection to that through Evan and a responsibility to help um, has been inspiring just kind of knowing the Cousineau family and being able to help in, in what little ways that I can and the little ways that the water polo community can help. So, Yeah, I'm sure that a bunch of our responsible sports listeners um, will be moved. And are, are there specific things that they could do um, to help? Yes. I mean, there's always bone marrow uh, registration. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that you have to give tomorrow, but um, just uh, you just 
swab your cheek and they send it into kind of a database and if needed you'll get a call but it's kind of registering for that kind of stuff and Mm -hmm. um, kind of responsibility to donate blood or just kind of do all these little things um, to be aware of and to be responsible for is awesome. Well, Tamua, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time with us today. And I, I really think that the Responsible Sports listeners and I have learned a lot. And I think your insights can really help a lot of parents and coaches and student athletes out there. So thank you so much for taking this time with us today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. To learn more about Responsible Sports, including downloading valuable tools on a mastery approach to youth sports that includes creating a commitment to learning, visit ResponsibleSports.com. You'll find helpful responsible sport parenting and responsible coaching guides, downloadable tools and worksheets, and advice from leading youth sports experts. Music for this podcast has been generously provided by APM Music.